You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. All right. Good morning, and it's uh, great to be here together with the South Bay Church. Let me just get set up here. I know I'm supposed to turn on the clicker. Yeah. So uh, we, are, we are grateful just to be able to be part of the worship this morning. We're grateful for the South Bay Church and our friendships with the Morichis, the Butlers, who are, you know, from Long Beach. Uh, don't forget that, guys. That's, that's, that's where you are spiritually matured so that you can come here now and lead the ministry here. And of course, the Winjis and our partnership as elders, uh, and also the Craigs. You know, we are great friends with all of the uh, folks here. We're especially grateful for the South Bay Church because there are two women that came from South Bay that are now in Long Beach that helped our kids uh, become Christians. You know, that's uh, Yana Kenworthy, Amen. Sophia's mom, Annie's uh, daughter. Uh, she was the one who mentored our daughter Jade and helped her to uh, understand the scriptures and become a disciple. And then, of course, uh, Kimmy. I'm going to mess up her last name, Funabashi. Yes. Uh, yes. Kimi, uh, now in Long Beach, helped our other daughter, Selena, and mentors her now. And so we're really grateful uh, just for the relationships that we have and how it's helped our family uh, to be able to get close to God together. And so your influence here in South Bay is being felt all over the coastal ministries and, uh, and beyond that. And uh, it's great to be able to be here together uh, to speak uh, in, in the uh, continuing series here, The Gospel Community. And I know that uh, DK came here a couple weeks ago uh, from the same ministry, Long Beach, and uh, Rhett, I listened to his uh, lesson on sanctification. And I just want to let you know that, you know, I am an engineer and not a natural speaker here. And I can't do like Rhett and just walk around without looking at my notes. Uh, I, I was, you know, the whole, uh, as I was watching him, I was just fascinated. How does he remember uh, the entire uh, message by just walking around without looking? And, and I did see in the end, towards there, he came and looked at his notes. He had, he had to pull it up, pull it up on his phone. Uh, so, but it's great just uh, to be able to get into God's word. And the title of our lesson today is what about this? And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul had addressed a few questions that the Corinthians had written to Paul about. And that, that was initially why the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians was written. And from you know, chapters 1 through 6, Paul gives a little bit of, before he answers their questions, he, you know, he had written to address some of the concerns that he had heard of what was going on with the church there. But, in, but the letter was really written to address their questions. And they had many different questions, and they were a curious group of folks there in Corinth, and they had written to Paul, and they had asked a series of questions. And Paul begins to answer that from chapter 7 and on towards uh, throughout the book. Now, I don't know if you are someone that naturally is very curious and asks a lot of questions. Um, you know, I don't tend to ask a lot of questions. My wife, Sarah, who will come up and speak in a little bit, she asks a lot of questions. 
And sometimes it's like, I don't have the answers, but Google does, you know? <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, I'm tempted to say to her, why don't you Google that instead? But I don't. We just talk. We just talk. But you know who are curious people? Kids are curious people, which means they have awesome questions. And I found a few questions, some deep questions that children ask their parents. And I'd like to read a few of that for you here. Uh, the first question here, one of the kids asked their mom, why do we have to be born young and grow old? Why can't we born, be born old and get young? It's a great question. You know, sometimes we say, I'm too old for that. You know, why do we say that, you know, if we want to just stay young? Another question the kid asked his dad, why can't I see my eyes? <laughs> you know? See, Red, Red's taking a picture of his eyes so that he can see his eyes there. Kid was sitting in a restaurant with his dad, and he asked, Dad, why are we here? And Dad said, well, we're here to have lunch. Kid said, no, no, why are we here on this earth? Another kid asked his mom, Mom, where do thoughts come from? And the last one here, another child asked his mom, Mom, what did it feel like on your last day of being a child? <laughs> yes. Yeah, deep questions. And so, you know, the Corinthians also were curious, and I hope you would stay curious for a few minutes as we uh, go through the, this lesson here. Um, you know, they had questions about uh, you know, that ranged from marriage all the way to, you know, what happens when we die and what happens to our body for eternity. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul begins to focus on marriage, singlehood, and the relationships before he gets into some of their other questions. And as we think about it, you know, relationships are really the essence of life. And as we learn about the gospel community from the book of Corinthians, we see specifically about the gospel devotion of being able to have a great marriage or a great single life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35, the Bible says here, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may have, that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, as we think about the lesson this morning, asking questions, what about this? I'd like for us to focus our minds on this specific verse here where it calls the church to be, to, to have an undivided devotion. In the past couple of weeks, you've heard uh, you know, some history about Corinth, where it was located, uh, some of the background about uh, the Corinthians here. And I'd like to just get into that a little bit, just to give some background about what marriage and single life was back in the Roman Empire, specifically in Corinth. During that time, there were really three classes of people. There were the slaves, those who were slaves. There were the common people, and there were the noble people. 
And many of the folks that had become Christians and part of the church, they were actually slaves at that time. So for the slaves, there was actually no such thing as marriage. They didn't have the right to get married because they were owned by their masters. And so what they would have is their master would let them have a temporary relationship, what they call a tent relationship. And the reason for that is because you know, they could you know, be taken away from that one master and be sold to another master, and their partner would not go along with them. So in, you know, during their course of their life, they may have many different tent relationships. They didn't have the right to get married and have a partner. The common folks, they practice something called uh, you know, being able to uh, have a dowry where a man could offer a father money for his daughter to marry her. And uh, you know, something that was very common during that time was that there was divorce and separation that you know, that relationship may not last your lifetime. The nobles had a marriage very similar to what we have today in that wedding ceremony, except that they would put, their, put the ring on the uh, third finger uh, because they believed that it had a connection from, 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 from your finger to your heart. And that symbolized that commitment of marriage. But they, too, uh, had a common practice of divorce that all you had to do if you wanted to get divorced with somebody is you find a friend that would witness that and you declare that you're separated from each other, and, and then you were divorced. So it was an easy process. And this is in context, Paul, Paul writing to the Corinthians, asking them and challenging them specifically to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. And when you think about undivided, we mean a wholehearted, absolute, and consistent devotion. A devotion that was with deep love and loyalty. And so as he writes these letter, this letter, we see that the influence of their culture was contrary to what the scriptures were teaching them and what it meant to be a follower of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse, verse 4, I read, it says here, the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, this was a pretty radical teaching for that time. Because it was commonly known in that society that the man has authority over his wife. But Paul writes here that in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. He says that the, the marriage is a partnership. That when we understand God's love through the gospel of Christ, we understand that our bodies are not our own, but there is a mutual submission between husband and wife. I yield my body to my wife. There is a surrender that we defer to the spouse because of Jesus. And so 
you know, the, the power of the gospel, the power of the message of Christ changed culture, changed influences, changed marriage and what it, the concept of what it meant to have a partner. And today also we see that, you know, this could be a challenge that we have in our lives today. You know, it wasn't something that it was just for their culture, but we see how powerful the gospel is as we look through and understand what it is to be having a devoted commitment to Christ, how that influences our marriage. As we go on reading in verse, verse 10, it says, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled with to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Divorce, according to the wisdom of God, is unacceptable. You know, Jesus does give a concession for infidelity, but in general, divorce is something that God does not take lightly. Very different from the society of that time, and also very different from our society. In the first century, Corinth, as I said, that if you wanted to divorce your spouse, all you had to declare it was have to do was declare it in the front of a few witnesses. And it was easy and it was common, but they're challenged here not to go by their cultural norms or the world's norms, but to have the mind of Christ and God's standard. Amen. So as you see that, you know, that as you read through the chapter seven here, these are some radical teachings that changed their whole concept of what it meant to have a relationship with a spouse. In verse 32, it says here that I would like, and he's talking to the singles here, he's actually talking to folks that, that when they became Christians, they may have been engaged to be married. And so he writes to them, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. A married man is concerned about an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and the interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. So in verse 32, Seems like Paul is wanting to spare singles from the troubles of marriage. <laughs> you know? And he goes on to say what those troubles are. You know, it says, a married man has a divided heart and mind. They're anxious about a great deal of things. Things about taking care of their wife, and so their focus is a shrinking focus. You know, as a married man, I have to tend to my marriage and cultivate uh, my marriage and that, that relationships and take on that anxieties of life. You know, you have children, you gotta take care of them, you gotta feed them. You know, we, uh, we left this morning uh, and a few of our kids had already left. A couple of them hadn't woken up. And as I left, I was thinking, well, we didn't really take care of their breakfast. 
that's okay, we gotta go. You know, I can't take care of the anxieties. I was already feeling anxious about coming here and speaking. I couldn't take care of uh, uh, the kids as well. But you see that, you know, you have, you have many anxieties in life when you're married and when you have children. And the wife and husband have some anxieties in life that they need to carry. And so he advises the singles, hey, you can have this undivided devotion to the Lord. Because as a single person, the breadth of focus is greater than that of a married man or woman. And this is the advantage that the singles have. Their undivided heart and mind can be freed up to be able to serve God and devote, be devoted to God wholly. Uh, you know, I think back, we've been married for 26 years now. And I know that it is not calling just singles to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. It is much more challenging. And there are much more, uh, you know, things to deal with in marriage life and to have an undevoted devotion. But the incredible thing about the scriptures is that it gives you the values, it gives you the perspective, the mindset that you need to have to have an incredible marriage. And at this time, Sarah's going to come up and, you know, think back to 26 years ago when she was single and kind of share about that time in our life when, when we were both singles and our transition to marriage life as well. Thank you. I don't know if this is on. Can you guys hear me? All right. Okay. So I do have three pages, but the font size is really huge. So don't worry. It won't be. <laughs> it won't be that long. But um, definitely. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so I became a Christian. Um, you know, as as it was already told in Orange County in the campus ministry. So it was my freshman year of college. So. I was definitely excited. I had an amazing time in the campus ministry, um, reaching out to students, you know, just getting to know the other, uh, the campus students. Um, but little did I know that God was preparing me for huge decisions in my life and at such an, a young age. Um, I remember, you know, for me, I, I'm coming from an Indian background. My family is very traditional. Um, you know, they moved here and, um, you know, and when I was three years old, so um, the life for my family was very focused on Indians and, you know, trying to keep uh, just our culture. And so I remember when I was studying the Bible, I really made a decision. I have to kind of talk to them about marriage. Um, you know, I'm going to marry someone who is going to have the same faith that I do. Um, that really believes in practicing the Bible that I do. And this meant, you know, for them that it may really not be Indian because in 1992, there wasn't a lot of Indians in the LA church, maybe three, and one of one, the other one was my brother. So, <laughs> you know, so there were times when people were like, why don't you go on a date with that guy? I'm like, that's my brother. <laughs> you know, and it happened the other way around too. So, yeah, so there, there wasn't a really a lot of uh, choice for Indians for my family's, uh, their thought, but that was okay. But that was like a big, huge concern for them. Um, but, you know, I'm just like, you know, you know, parents, and it, it's going to be fine. God's in control. Um, so... Um, in 1995, you know, there was a lot of uh, 
you know, the situations where a lot of campus students and, um, you know, that one suitcase challenge and, you know, and, and during that time. So, um, you know, I started getting some vision about helping people that are like me. Um, and I was able to attend a conference in 1995 in Washington, D.C. for people who were interested in going to India to serve. Okay, so at that time I was 20 years old. Okay, still in college, two years, just, you know, I was in junior college, I was at Cyprus, and I was gonna be transferring to Cal State Fullerton. I think I see someone from Cal State Fullerton here. Yeah, over there. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I, I'm still at that young age, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I wanna do things for God, and I'm so excited about that. And after that conference, you know, I was really inspired to move. But, you know, I would face challenges. You know, that family uh, situation came back. You know, coming from a family, family um, that, you know, came here, my parents were really against me going back. Um, they worked so hard to bring us here. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to go back to India. They're like, what? You know, this is, this is what are you talking about? You don't know anybody. Um, I mean, you're going as a single, I mean, 20 years old. That was, like, very frightening for my family. Um, it was very difficult because I said, you know, I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my friends. I'm going to leave college, you know. So, I mean, I, I was able to get my associate's degree um, at, at least uh, during that time. So that, that was helpful. Um, but, you know, for them, that was still not, you did not finish college. So um, it, was, it was pretty challenging, but I, you know, I really believe that God was calling me. Um, so at that conference, that's where I, I actually met George. <laughs> so um, so we, we were actually talking to each other maybe two years before physically meeting each other. You know, we didn't have these phones where you can do video chats. It was just like a dial phone, you know. Um, and it was for, it was like a list of, of Indians that are all around the United States. So he was actually trying to call my brother and I picked up the phone. So that's how we started talking. Um, but so when, when I met him at the conference, I was like, wow, this is from God. You know, he's, he's spiritual. He's got the same dreams. I mean, he wants to move to India. He, you know, he really loves God and he's handsome. Yeah. That, that was a plus. So, <laughs> so, so in the Indian culture, you know, parents take on that role to arrange marriage, you know, arrange marriages. And so, you know, how I had that conversation with them before and said, you know, I'm gonna marry someone who's gonna be, you know, someone that's gonna love God like me. They got excited because they're like, isn't he go to your church? And I'm like, yes. So, you know, so our parents, our moms started like somehow, they got in touch with each other. They started connecting. My in-laws know their family from Chicago. So they, you know, the parents started getting involved. There were photos that were sent, not very good photos, but there were photos that were sent. I was like, mom, why'd you pick that photo? You know, and we got a photo of George also. Um, and so that was already kind of working. They're like, okay, we're going to get you married. I'm like, what? Oh, wait, no. You know, they wanted us to get married before we moved to India. Um, you know, and this was, this was just right after I came from the conference. So they were like working it in like a matter of weeks. So... <laughs> 
So even though we had the same dream, you know, we had to let our parents know, okay, we need to wait. We want to, like, we want to go to India, and the focus is God and his mission, and it's not really about each other. We didn't want to make the decision to go, I mean, to go there, because what if something happens and one of us decides to come back and, you know, we can't make it? So then both of us have to come back if we're already married. So that was that was something that I really wanted to make sure, and George did also. We didn't want to be distracted by one another. You know, we, we wanted to be based on God and not for each other. So I took on that spirit of no distraction and this is my opportunity to serve because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm considered single, right? From campus, when you leave, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be single. Um, so life in India, it was pretty rough, you know. So I left in 1995 in July. Um, the first three months, I already, you know, they moved us from one house to another. I was considered, you know, I was an intern. I was on staff. Um, and so I lived with maybe maybe four or five girls, other girls that were on staff. And to live with women, it's not normal in India just because you live with your parents. So even that idea of living with other people um, in, a, in, in an area, it, it was kind of dangerous as well because there, people would be wondering why are all these women living together and they're going in and out and in and out of their houses. They're going you know, early morning and coming back late at night and they don't know that we're going early morning to pray with people, coming back from the ministry. So you know, our neighbors didn't really know that. Um, my neighbor was a cow. I actually lived next to a cow shed. And so the cow's head was always in the front, trying to get through our front door. So, I mean, just the living conditions was not like my Orange County Buena Park house, you know, and that my parents still live in. So the, you know, the, the lifestyle was a little bit different for me. I mean, I got sick. I mean, it was great because I lost 10 pounds, but I really got sick from the food and the water. You know, I've learned quickly, don't drink the water, don't eat raw vegetables, you know, those kind of things, um, unless it's cooked. So, I mean, I got uh, like these bug bites from one side of my face to another. It was just like, it was, it was pretty horrific, um, the different things that I went through, um, traveling, traveling alone. I learned that don't travel by yourself, you know, even like at six or seven o'clock at night because it's dangerous, you know. Um, I was assaulted. I mean, I was just standing waiting for a bus and some guy on a bike like smacked my face, you know. Um, and, it, you know, so different things happened, but I knew that, you know, the, even through the discouragements, I just prayed. I was like, God, I know you really want me here for a reason, and this is your plan. I, ha I, you know, I prayed more. You know, sometimes when you go through tough times, you end up praying more. Yeah. You read your Bible more because, yeah. you know, being Christian is not always, like, um, easy, right? It yeah. doesn't say it's not pain-free. It's not easy. And so you, you go through a tough situation. But I also had a lot of victories. We, you know, we studied the Bible with so many women. Um, you know, they're people that never read the Bible before. Um, they grew up with different religions. So we had a, um, a lot of great times with people, people who faced a lot of persecution. So um, I studied with women that were, you know, double my age. You know, I was, you know, again, I was still 20 at that time. And studying the Bible with uh, many women of all ages, you know, um, poor people, you know, women who are... Um, 
wealthy as well, but a lot of people who are eager and, you know, they're really grateful to just learn about the Bible. So after three months, George finally arrived. Um, he moved to India and um, he moved in October. And so right before he came and before he even flew to India, they asked him if he'd like to get married to me. And um, before he arrived, they asked me if I would be interested in marrying him. And the culture in India at that time is no dating. So we really honored that. Um, so the decision was easy for me because I knew he loved God. He was sold out, you know, and all the other stuff that I saw before. And um, so he arrived in October 1995. We got engaged in November. We got married in January in 1996. So, yeah, so that was within three months. Okay, so, <laughs> so when people ask me, how long should someone be dating? I'm like, you're actually asking the wrong person. <laughs> we didn't really date. So, um, but I believe we, you know, we both sought out God as individuals as you know as um, an individual person and that helped us in our marriage because he was already the center of our relationship and I think that's what we really got to focus on being devoted to God and each other it's going to help you in in whatever you're doing it helped us in you know being in India we were um, in India we were in Sri Lanka we were in Pakistan we, we lived there for 13 years and we had all of our children in various cities, <laughs> um, you know, but we took that attitude, I'm gonna go anywhere, I'm gonna do anything, Amen. wherever we're needed, you know, we're willing um, to go, you know. So to this day, after 25, 26, sorry, 26 years of marriage, you know, we're still devoted to God and each other. You know, we've been living and, um, and part of the Greater Long Beach uh, Church for the last eight years. We are um, happy that all of our three kids, you know, they made decisions to put God first, um, and they're the, uh, you know, God is the center of their life, and they're very devoted to him. You know, a couple of our kids are um, in the campus ministry. We got a, a teen, um, and she's doing really great. We have a couple of nieces and nephews that live with us, so we have a family of seven um, that are doing amazing things. So. Even though, you know, you may feel like, you know, we have a lot of um, distractions in marriage, you know, it's okay. Our foundation, you know, we, we have God, and that's what's amazing. We're, we, you can't be shaken if you have your, a strong foundation in God, that's you know, because right. God's spirit lives in us, and right. he's not going to leave you. So that's what I have to say. And by the way, yeah, I came back and I became a nurse. So, hey, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can come back and do whatever you have to Thank you. Okay, I do have an awesome wife, as you can see. Um, and, you know, we were just thinking through about what it means to be devoted to God. And it is not easy in any life circumstance to be devoted to God. And one of the things we're doing in the Long Beach Church is we're going through the series called The 40 Days of Prayer by Kit Cummings. And Kit came in and, and spoke to us last Sunday and this Wednesday. And one of the things he challenged the church was the first thing you do before you do anything else in the morning is just get on your knees and pray. 
It might be just a 10-second prayer saying, God, good morning, I love you, and then say, God, I got to go to the bathroom and leave. But he says, it says, for 40 days, just do that. Get on your knees, and the first thing you do is think about God and speak to him. And so it's been, uh, it's been four days, and I'm thinking, I've already forgotten two days. <laughs> It's asked to be devoted to God in this one little thing, 10 seconds of your day. First thing, just remember to pray to God. And, you know, we see that being devoted to God is not easy. And we think about our gospel community that we have here. We need each other to encourage one another to be devoted to God. As we continue through in um, the book of Corinthians, I didn't put this on the slide, but in verse 32, in verse uh, Verse 17, it talks about just being content. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as, you, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is the Christ's slave. Is Christ's slave. So, you know, he talks about just being content in whatever circumstance they're in. And, you know, the, just to be able to look to see that no matter what, what situation you're in, that God chooses for us to rest on God's good promises despite what's going on in our life. It's just to really hold on to God's promises. And as, as Sarah, Sarah shared, you know, we served as missionaries in India. Uh, you know, we were able to live in India, which is a predominantly Hindu country, uh, and was able to serve in many churches there. And then we also moved to Sri Lanka, and she shared about, you know, it was like the one suitcase challenge. It was actually two suitcases and a carry-on. So you can, you know, it wasn't just one suitcase, maybe. Uh, and there were, like, many folks during that time who went all over the world to help many of our churches. And so we had done that. We, we you know, packed up whatever we could have in a couple of suitcases and leave everything behind, went to, in, to India, and then we moved to Sri Lanka. And while we were in Sri Lanka... Um, someone stole all of the money that we had. You know, for some reason, I didn't know much about the banking system, so when I was moving from one country to the other, I cashed out everything we had and went to Sri Lanka. And, and we, so we lost all of our life savings there. And then a few years later, we moved to Pakistan, still with our two suitcases and a carry-on with a few clothes and some other stuff that we had. And while we were at church, someone broke in and stole everything that we had including those two suitcases, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, and I was thinking to myself, you know, the, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be given to you as well, and at that time, it meant, you know, I was like, man, God, I seek first the kingdom, and everything else was taken from me as well, <laughs> and so, you know, we had, we had to learn to be content in any circumstance, and the incredible thing is that, you know, we lived in India, a Hindu nation, 
moved to Sri Lanka, which is a Buddhist nation, and then we moved to Pakistan, which is a Muslim nation. And we had seen the power of God changing people's life, no matter what religion, what background, how much they knew about God. Some of them had never even opened a Bible before. But the power of the gospel was able to change their life, change their marriages, change you know, their family life in, in incredible ways. And God's got that power today in our life as we put these scriptures in our life. God changes us. He makes us, uh, you know, the men and women that he desires for us to be because we were made to be devoted to him. And our goal is to continue to strive to have that undivided devotion to God. In verse 29 of chapter 7, says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use things in the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. As we think through the influence that the gospel has in our life, we realize that time is short, that our pursuits, whether it's of marriage, whether it's of happiness, whether it's our careers or the material things, they're all in this world is just passing away. When we are in Christ, his purpose matters. His concern is our concern. And he is coming back anytime, so we need to be ready and focused and focus on eternity. As I close out, I think through in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, in the New Living Translation, it says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. We have a God who is writing the stories of our life. Amen. It is going to be the perfect story. And there may be people that come along and take some of the stuff away from you, but God continues to write that perfect story, which is good and pleasing to him. As we look to grow in building the gospel community, it comes from the gospel of Christ. God has a great story for us. Let us focus on being devoted to God and growing to be able to have an undivided devotion to him. Amen. At this time, we uh, are going to pray for the communion uh, as we focus our hearts on the cross uh, and just uh, the time that this spends to, uh, to reflect on, on the forgiveness, the grace that God had in giving us his son so that we can have salvation and a relationship with him. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we are grateful for this time. We're grateful for the church that we can take this moment, whether here in person or even as we watch uh, through the live stream, we can just take a moment to just remember the cross, remember where we came from and where you've brought us today. We're grateful for Christ. We're grateful for the salvation that we have, the forgiveness of all our sins. 
and the ability, Lord, to be devoted to you. We pray that you would bless this time and open our hearts and our minds with gratitude to honor you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.